You are listening to Cap Conversation, the digital discourse of financial services today with Capco and guests. I'm your host, Audra Schoenfeld here, head of strategic analytics for Capco US. Today in this podcast, we're going to be talking to Krishna Kalakuri, the co founder and CEO of DWO, a platform for supporting analytics based decision making with novel cognitive capabilities enabling continuous business optimization. Welcome, Krishna, and thanks for joining us today. Hey, Audra, very good morning and a pleasure to speak with you today. Yeah, thanks so much. To start us off, I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to DWO? Before I get into a detailed introduction about myself, uh, I would like to thank Capco and the entire team for this great partnership uh, and great collaborative effort, uh, especially from the leadership team at Capco, uh, Len, Audra, uh, you have been great partners and uh, we especially admire the way uh, you bring the intellectual advisory aspects to all of your clients. And we as a team are truly excited about this partnership and uh, we see a great synergy going into the future. And thank you for the great partnership here, uh, Audra. Thank you. Likewise on our side. So that said, you know, I'll give you a quick intro about myself and I will also tell you about my journey to Devo. Uh, As I told you, I'm one of the founders and I'm the CEO at Devo. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I found a company called DataFaxi about uh, 15, 16 years ago, which is uh, a business uh, analytics company with a core competency in data science and data engineering. Uh, the practice today is about a thousand member organization with a national footprint uh, with various uh, uh, clients in uh, retail, financial services, healthcare, and so on. Uh, that said, I actually transitioned into Devo about four and a half years ago with a whole vision to build an enterprise class B2B uh, software platform for business station makers. Uh, that said, you know, I currently leverage all of my real-time world experiences, all the learning uh, that I had in the past two decades, trying to bring all those experiences into Devo and truly help the enterprises with uh, decision-making aspects of uh, their respective businesses. So that's a really quick intro about me. Um, I come with a very strong technical background. Uh, I have uh, done technical consulting in data and analytics all my life. Uh, all uh, all of my career is around data, data, and data. Uh, again, whatever I do at TVO is all again about uh, data as well. So that's a really quick introduction about me, Atra. Thanks so much, Krishna. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more as well about since you know starting at DWO back in 2014, a little bit more about DWO's mission in particular and what inspired you for the current uh, focus and mandate the company has today. So the way I thought about DWO, the uh, idea really sparked about uh, uh, 17 or 18 years ago, Audra. When I was consulting, I used to work for one of the uh, automotive OEs here in Detroit. And uh, in my role, uh, I used to report up to my boss, who was the SVP for uh, marketing and different channels uh, at this automotive OE. So what I have done for him is I used to build uh, uh, some machine learning models or I used to build some uh, dashboards or reports for him in his role to support his uh, decision-making aspect every day. But what I've learned from him uh, during my journey uh, was he always came back to me asking questions about, okay, hey, if we ran a campaign in Florida, do you know what is the likely response for this campaign? And do you know if there are uh, people who are aged over 65 within two miles radius of a Lincoln dealership 
And if yes, how can we build a targeted campaign? And if we build this targeted campaign, do you know what is the likely outcome of this campaign, right? So some of these questions that he used to ask back in the day, it was truly not possible to give him any answers. Uh, or we did not have the technology or the ability to build uh, anything that he was asking back in the day. That is when I really realized that, uh, you know, any aspects around data that you could provide in the form of a report or a dashboard is one aspect, but the businesses uh, trying to realize uh, an outcome coming out of those aspects and uh, you know trying to uh, come up with a decision end of the day is the most critical aspect, right? So that is what he taught me. He taught me that if I cannot draw a conclusion end of the day from any of uh, the aspects that you deliver on a day-to-day, -day, whether it's a report or dashboard, I'm not justifying my job. So that is where the whole idea sparked, right? So uh, again, here I am uh, after several years, I still took the idea and said, okay, why don't we help the business station makers with the whole aspect of advising them about how they can arrive at a decision at the end of the day. So that's how the whole idea sparked. Well, that certainly resonates extremely well with myself. I mean, my role at Capco on the whole reason for strategic analytics is really the core platform is making better business decisions through data. And I've learned through my own journey about, you know, you can have analysis paralysis and tell all sorts of information. But if you're not taking action off of that, you know, it, it's only so valuable and guiding businesses on getting to that actionability is, is no small task, especially with the overwhelming amount of data that is increasingly available today. I totally agree. And that is where uh, we as a company are focused uh, to bring those uh, decision making aspects to the business. Uh, yeah, I would say from from that standpoint, you know, my next question kind of continues on that journey about, you know, in an increasingly digital world today, the data trail that people leave, you know, is increasing exponentially. I think there's something like over 500 million tweets, you know, 300 billion emails, four petabytes of information on Facebook content created daily. And I would argue in financial services, that, you know, that doesn't even include the information banks can capture about their customers through our everyday financial activities and transaction. There's so much power that can be harnessed with that data to make, you know, more informed and customized services available for the customer base. Um, but making sense of that in a really usable business intelligence out of it seems really impossible. Um, so are there areas within financial services that you think could best leverage a solution like Duo to help take advantage of that volume of data um, that the banks capture today about their customers? Absolutely, Audra. Uh, we especially think... Uh... Uh, areas in uh, credit risk management are some of uh, uh, high visible uh, uh, areas in financial services where Duo can provide substantial value to the respective businesses. So within credit risk, you know, you can think about, you know, how can uh, the collections team start to think about, uh, you know, a channel placement or a channel workout, uh, looking at the current uh, climate, right? How can they be proactive in uh, you know, uh, designing their collections uh, on how they could be more proactive in mitigating risk in their respective portfolios is one key area that we think uh, financial services uh, can benefit quite a bit from a platform like Tivo. Uh, that said, uh, to your point, uh, Audra, you know, when we talk about uh, credit risk management, right, you know, the whole aspect of uh, structured, unstructured data, right? Trying to understand the current patterns or the trends or the behavior of a customer 
and trying to draw some uh, conclusions coming out of the data can be applied in many areas of uh, credit risk, especially uh, within this climate. So I believe uh, the businesses can uh, take advantage of, you know, uh, bringing all that uh, unstructured data together and also uh, kind of mitigate risk within their respective portfolios uh, within the areas of uh, credit risk. Yeah, I tell you, and I'm curious, you know, certainly you can't talk about probably credit risk without thinking now about the impact, you know, of COVID-19 and, you know, referencing today's climate. Uh, and with that not disappearing anytime soon, you know, it's something where I think that the the previously assumed risk on individuals or businesses by, you know, a, a banking organization was vastly different today than it would have been how they managed it even last year. Um, so in terms of, you know, as you think more about, again, the power of, of DUO and your your tooling, um, is there anything in particular you think that's, you know, distinctive or can help on how it's different today than how that would have been managed, you know, even last year? So at least the way we think about it uh, in today's uh, climate is how can we truly, uh, you know, become an intelligent advisor to their respective business functions, right? So when you look at that key aspect of, uh, you know, decision making, uh, when you consider credit risk as a use case, uh one uh, one key area that we truly think is beneficial is how can we also bring some macroeconomic uh, aspects of uh, uh, you know uh, points into this whole use case right so when you start looking at areas of credit risk you could say okay how does some macroeconomic factors are going to affect you know a certain portfolio or a certain area of credit risk right so uh, the Real value is, you know, there could be uh, a 1% increase in unemployment, right? So if that is the case, you know, how does that affect a certain uh, credit portfolio, right? Or if there is a decrease in unemployment, right? Uh, is there an impact on the overall portfolio? So that is how uh, we think, you know, the financial services industry can benefit from combining some of this, uh, you know, valuable information that's out there in terms of some macroeconomic factors, combining them with internal data sets and really put decision making, you know, uh, seamless to the uh, businesses, respective businesses. That makes tons of sense to me. So right, leveraging to your point, the external overall market movements are that macroeconomic level. And it's not about just the super detailed data you can get to at the individual level, but really the combination of the two uh, in, in the most effective way possible. That is correct. Actually, on the, on that note, because we talk about, you know, the bringing in the external data and all those elements together, you know, I'm curious your opinion on, you know, depending on the use case, timeliness of data also, I'd say, is an increasing trend uh, that's top of mind for, for businesses, because as your point is, technology is advanced, the ability to have truly real-time data access, real-time data decisioning uh, becomes, you know, a really meaningful thing. And it matters in some areas more than others. But I'm curious about any of your thoughts or opinions on the element of whether things should be done in, in true real-time from an analytics perspective or not when it comes to some of these types of areas like credit risk uh, or otherwise. I think uh, the need to uh, bring data in real-time uh, has never been more important than today's climate, right? Because when you look at uh, some key aspects of bringing any external data, especially the macroeconomic factors, they keep changing every day, right? So uh, for us to stay on top of these kinds of uh, variables that are going to affect the overall decision-making aspect, uh, it is extremely critical to 
combined data from any source uh, where uh, there is true value of bringing that data in real time is critically important for businesses. So uh, as a platform, again, you know, we have all the enablers to bring all of this uh, external data in real time or near real time or real real time is one of the core competencies on our platform as well. We believe that's truly valuable to the business. Yeah, thanks for that. And I'm curious as you think about uh, as you've been working more and more through Diwa with various types of you know business stakeholders and on that journey of you know making sure that you can make better decisions um, through tooling that can help you, uh, whether it's you know dashboards or for actual insights. You know, I find that the ability to have a truly data-driven culture is what I would also articulate it as on the business side is an evolving journey. It does vary from business to business. Um, so, do you have any you know experiences you feel like you've had that speak specifically to when you've been trying to work with introducing Dewo to a particular community and where it's gone, you know, really, really well or been more of a struggle on that kind of ability to ingest the the data-driven culture aspect on the business side? So that's a great question. Uh, at least from our experience, uh, I will uh, help you understand the lay of the land today and also tell you uh, some of our recent experiences uh, uh, within our most recent deployments as well. When you look at uh, most enterprises today, right, the way they consume uh, data today is in the form of a dashboard or a report or even a machine learning model output ends up in an Excel, right, or in many cases, uh, uh, a machine learning model output is also put into some kind of a visualization, right? So here is where uh, the managers or the respective business station makers are trying to achieve today, right? They try to manually synthesize all this information together, right? So they are trying to collect insights from a dashboard or they're trying to uh, collect some more insights from an Excel or a visualization, and they are really trying to create a manual hypothesis, right? And once they arrive at some kind of a hypothesis, they are slowly trying to make one decision at a time, right? So the key aspect here that we all have to remember is time, right? So in the process, the businesses are losing on key opportunities, which are very timely. And this whole process of creating hypothesis or synthesizing these insights, that is very time consuming, that is very manual. And in many cases, I'm pretty sure there is some bias as well, right? So this is where we want to bring that true automation, right? How can you automatically synthesize the insights or how can you enable businesses to arrive at decisions much faster where they are not uh, manually synthesizing these insights and especially put all of these insights within a specific business process or a business context, which is critically important, right? So that is what we try to do in most deployments, uh, uh, one of uh, our most re uh, recent deployment is uh, uh, within a retail and financial services uh, uh, domain is how can we truly bring down that whole time of decision making from uh, weeks to days, right? So uh, the whole um, idea behind these deployments was how can we have, how can we have the businesses adopt this whole uh, aspect of consumption of insights, right? consumption of analytics rather than production of uh, analytics. So that is the key uh, difference where we are trying to help the businesses understand on how people can start looking at consumption rather than production. So that is uh, what we truly believe 
will be a great uh, data-driven decision framework, at least in our view. That certainly resonates with me. And I think the focus on the consumption versus production is such a great, great concept. And one thing you said, I, I had to chuckle a little bit because it's so true about how no matter how many, you know, increasingly enhanced dashboards, machine learning models, great data outputs there are, oftentimes things still end up in Excel. And even for myself, I'm someone completely bought in on the world of data analytics and using, you know, big data sources. And even I still am a lover of taking it still to Excel in the end to take a look at it, think about it myself and, you know, put a human eye on it. And I think it's not so much that D was seeking to replace the human eye, but to your point, just really bring down through automation a lot of the thought time so it can be done in a quicker, more consumable fashion. That is correct. Uh, I believe uh, uh, hopefully the industries will start adopting this uh, man-machine kind of uh, uh, symbiosis where they are able to leverage uh, you know, some very interesting decision-making aspects to help benefit their respective businesses. So. Yep, that makes tons of sense. And I'm kind of curious because I think, you know, I, I have a familiarity with it, but for the benefit of folks listening, when you think about, you talked about how the Duo tool is able to obviously ingest, you know, great volumes and diversity of data, both at the, you know, internal level, but also if you want to layer over macroeconomic factors. But, you know, that starts to sound like a lot of different data sources and the effort it would sound like to set something like that up seems like it could be potentially overwhelming um, to to businesses, depending on the internal maturity of their existing, you know, data stores and data models. Um, do you want to comment a little bit about, you know, you know, abusing or disabusing of that notion or what it would really take to get something like you up and running in a, in a meaningful fashion um, for a business? So when you look at uh, a typical use case, uh, we are talking about probably eight to 12, uh, 12 weeks uh, to really deploy the use case end to end. That's how the platform has been designed. And to give you a little bit more background about the platform itself, the way uh, we have uh, thought about all the data engineering or data preparation or any data science aspects are concerned, right? We start to put all of those uh, you know requirements in confluence templates today which means you know uh, i'm interested in a certain kpi or if i capture the definition of a certain attribute in the business right or if there is if there is a specific business rule all of those are are put into uh, predefined confluence templates and now what we have done on the platform is we have created some very uh, proprietary processes behind the scenes where we are able to automatically translate all of these confluence templates where we are able to automatically bring those data engineering and data science pipelines into the system, which truly brings that acceleration to deployment, right? Now, that is where uh, we also uh, build something called a business context graph, which is really uh, the heart and core of the uh, Devo ecosystem itself. So that is where we are really able to accelerate a number of data sources from day one, you know, put that into Confluence and then automatically translate all of that into uh, into Tivo. So uh, you're looking at uh, a typical deployment time frame of eight to twelve weeks, depending on the use case. Today. That makes sense. And then I know that we talked from the very beginning about you know the ultimate goal is that something that you know is a label enables enterprise level type of analytics. But from the way you talk about the setup, you know you don't have to start talking about the the whole entire ecosystem of data. You know at a institution, you can start with one use case to your point, like credit risk analytics, and just focus on setting up for that subset of data and then kind of build from there, correct? That is correct. Uh, that's how uh, we think uh, most businesses will start benefiting. Uh, 
uh, especially in the areas of credit risk, right? The At least the way we think about uh, uh, TO in financial services is a holistic view. And when you look at different uh, areas within financial services beyond uh, uh, credit risk management, uh, credit risk may have something to do with, uh, uh, you know, another marketing team, right? Or, you know, there is another uh, other business function that has a dependency on uh, credit risk, right? So, uh, once you start with a, a specific use case, and eventually you can start thinking about how can you add more and more use cases where you are able to govern some of those decisions as well, right? Meaning, you know, a decision coming out of uh, uh, credit risk may have an impact on marketing, right? So that's how we think about Devo in a holistic way. Yep, that makes sense. And I'm curious because depending on you know the institution, they have either probably a lot of existing either in-house homegrown systems or external other providers they've been using for, to your point, maybe it's traditional data visualization and dashboarding or, or things of that nature. Do you see Duo as a replacement for those types of tools that are in place or more of a complement and an augment because of its focus on more of the decisioning aspect, or I'd say the scenario planning creation element? So Duo is really designed to leverage any existing assets within the enterprise. Uh, that's one of the core strengths in the platform. The way we think about Duo is uh, how can we leverage any uh, existing assets that uh, the enterprise may have, right? Whether uh, it comes in the form of a data warehouse or whether there is some data sitting in a data lake, right? Or uh, they have built another application which is producing insights, right? So. Uh, Devo is really designed to be agnostic and consume various types of insights, whether uh, they are historical insights or uh, predictive insights or any other types of insights, right? So uh, we truly believe uh, the enterprises should not reinvest in building the same insights over and over again. That is where Devo is able to really, uh, you know, provide substantial value by optimizing the timelines and providing a framework for decision making. Thanks for that. That makes a lot of a lot of sense from my end. And I'm actually going to take us down a slightly different path than from here, since we've been talking, you know, throughout the discussion thus far about, you know, the volumes of data that are available and how you can ingest many different types of sources, whether they're macroeconomic or at the individual level. You know, I commented on there's there's data that a, a financial services institution would capture about me through my own transactions with their products. But there's also the digital footprint that I leave just in the world by going on Google and social media or checking my emails and things like that, that are also capturable in different ways today. Um, do you have a view as you think about the broader ecosystem of data around kind of ethical use of data, you know, an ethical AI, I think that's top of mind for a lot of institutions now today, more and more around as tooling becomes more and more sophisticated, you know, just because I can allow it to help me, you know, understand more and make better decisions, is that the right thing to do? Or where should the line be drawn around how much the machine should be able to, you know, help us out in our in our future vision? That's a great question, Audra, uh, especially in today's world uh, with the given amount of technology and innovation. It's very critical to, uh, you know, balance uh, innovation uh, where we are not able to, uh, uh you know, step over any personal or privacy aspects of any business, right? Especially businesses that involve uh, any uh, uh, any customers or any privacy aspects that may be considered. So we we uh, actually think, you know, uh, bringing that ethical 
uh, value in terms of where you draw a boundary on how the machine can learn from data, right, uh, is extremely important. And the way we think about it is when you look at some of uh, the models that we deploy in Devo, some of them uh, are uh, regulated, right? You know, meaning they need uh, an approval from a specific team within financial services where they are able to uh, assess the model, uh, making sure, you know, there are no um, aspects of uh, privacy that are being compromised in the process. So we highly uh, go through a process where we are able to uh, validate these models that go into the system and uh, at the same time, uh, leverage most value coming out of these models uh, uh, that are leveraged for various uh, subject areas. Yeah, I think to your point, the, the regulated aspect is a key element, especially in financial services, because there's you know modeling that's used for things like credit decisioning that absolutely has already, I think, a good external check and balance system uh, because of the regulatory nature. But then also, as we start to think about, you know, from from a digital journey and the customized experience, you not every not everything that can be learned about me needs leads to a decision in my product financially, but it might have to do with, you know, what the bank knows about me when I log in or helps me in terms of recommendations or just advice like that, those aspects of customization. So I think that's where as we get into some of those where it may not be something where it tells me whether I'm going to get a certain credit line or a certain, you know, interest rate, but is also just made to make my experience easier uh, is where I think it'll continually become a bit blurry too, because I think the checks and balance on just customized marketing activities is certainly quite different um, or le less of a focus, but more where things like your movements, you know, in social media and online could be more valuable. I cannot agree more, Audra. <laughs> I think uh, that is where we all have to draw a fine line between how technology can be leveraged to what aspect, right? So uh, I completely agree with you on that. And I was actually a little curious since we've been talking a lot about financial services, obviously, because of the focus of, you know, CAPCO and uh, what we've been working on from the credit risk side uh, with DUO. But as you commented about your, your background and kind of prior to coming to your focus with DWO, having worked outside of the financial services industry, and from a um, you know data analytics and business intelligence lens, I'm curious if you have a view on you know some of the other markets and where where financial services stacks up in terms of its complexity and usage of data and business intelligence for decisioning versus other uh, other industries. So at least the way uh, uh, we've been experiencing uh, you know reactions from various verticals. Uh, we see, uh, you know, a lot more adoption within financial services and retail, uh, where we see users are beginning to understand uh, the importance and significance of simplifying the whole decision-making process where timely business opportunities are not lost in translation. Uh, and uh, within retail, uh, we've seen some very interesting uh, changes in the business community where the businesses are realizing that uh, we cannot, uh, you know, make decisions based on historical types of insights or, you know, we cannot uh, operationalize a, a certain aspect of a business using Excel. We've seen that uh, change or trend evolving in retail and financial services. And what we are also beginning to see is uh, people understanding that you know a certain aspect of bi or dashboard is only going to take them only so far in their journey and they are beginning to realize that they have to uh you know go beyond uh, you know the traditional way of uh, consuming insights and 
you know, taking these insights and contextualize within a certain business process or a certain business function is something that we are beginning to see more and more, uh, both in financial services and retail. Yeah, I think that contextualization aspect is such a key point because I think even as uh, we think about the views of, of data about a customer, you know, whether at an individual product level or at a total, you know, institution or enterprise level, part of the piece there is understanding, you know, the full ecosystem about a, about a data point and not just where it sits in one operation. So that's important in financial services or absolutely everywhere else, to your point, retail or otherwise. I think probably one uh, one last question since we've been talking obviously about all the advances in technology and decisioning and we we start off a little bit about the the impact of uh, of covid and how that led to things like credit risk being important uh because of the evolving environment from a financial standpoint and for for banks today and the economy but just to kind of close this out I'm curious that you know with with covid not disappearing anytime soon and you know this prevalence of remote working uh, looks like it might be here to stay for the long haul. Um, I know for myself, I now work out of my closet uh, full time in my home to avoid hiding from my toddler, which works out well for quiet purposes. But um, from your perspective, how have you seen that the new working environment change in 2020 um, in any significant ways? And what are some of the future of work changes that you think technology might be able to empower more broadly in the market as we look into 2021 and beyond? So one major change, uh, at least we have noticed within our respective teams in 2020 uh, uh, during COVID is uh, what we are beginning to see is most employees are beginning to uh, realize that COVID is not going away anyway soon. Uh, We've seen most of them are being a lot more responsible in executing their day-to-day responsibilities. And, uh, you know, in many occasions, people have stepped up you know, the productivity has significantly increased uh, by at least 50% in many cases. And people are beginning to, uh, you know, adopt to this new normal, you know, which is, you know, kind of uh, uh, collaborating with your team members using Zoom or, you know, Teams or various types of uh, uh, collaborative platforms, right? And we are beginning to see that people are uh, are outputting more uh, in terms of uh, productivity. And at the same time, what we are also beginning to see uh, uh, because of uh, this situation is uh, uh, from most employees that they are losing that emotional connection, right? So what we are at least trying to do beginning the end of 2020 or going into Q1 uh, 2021 is to create a more balanced work environment where we could uh, have some employees come into our office every other day or, you know, at least two times a week, you know, or create a round robin system where people are at least able to interact in a safer environment is what we are also thinking uh, can bring a significant change uh, within the respective teams here. And I think that's the journey that, you know, we're all on and where we actually end up for the the true normal, hopefully in a post-COVID world remains to be seen. But I couldn't agree more about in, in some ways, I think once we all realized that it wasn't just a couple weeks of work from home and that we really had to adopt to truly long-term functionality in a remote environment, things like uh, Zoom and Teams and being able to be on video. So even if you're not in the room, you still see people's gestures and you can brainstorm. I know at Capco, we really like um, certain types of collaboration tools like Mural as well, because you can literally put sticky notes on a board all together, just as if you were in the room. 
uh, has been really, really great. But the reason that works is because we're all in the same boat at the moment. So it's not like half the people are in the office and half are remote. So as we get to, you know, more of that blended or whatever, more of a normal environment where some people would be in an office would be, I think that that's an open-ended question around how do you maintain some of the efficiencies and productivity that's gained with some of those tooling, um, but also allow people to have that same connectivity when it's a little bit more of a blended in-person and non-person culture again. That is very true. And I cannot agree more, Audra. Uh, That is the balance that we all need to uh, start thinking about. And uh, as COVID uh, starts to slide down, uh, we are hoping this new normal will come back into play and uh, we are all looking forward to it. Absolutely. And in the meantime, it's been a pleasure. So thank you so much for your your time today. I know it was absolutely wonderful getting to learn a little bit more about uh, your background and what brought you to DWO. And then we've enjoyed getting to learn a bit more about the platform and hopefully for folks listening. Um, you know, you and I are believers in the power of data and intelligence and decisioning, but I think you gave a good view of how that's uh, increasingly critical for folks to take in in financial services and beyond. So we really enjoyed having you today. Thank you, Audra. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll have more of this in the coming future. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Cap Conversation, a Capco production. This podcast is for information only and should not and does not constitute consulting services. (laughs) 